What's up, everybody? Rolling toward the holidays. Welcome to the Bad Christian Podcast. Quick note, if you're in the BC Club, you're going to be missing the Daily Dose episodes on Thursday and Friday. We take a just a little bit, slightly needed little break here. And uh, speaking of the holidays, there's other stuff that you can do other than listen to the Daily Dose or the Bad Christian Podcast to be entertained Thursday and Friday. Mainly... Emery, the best band in the world, has released a Christmas video and EP. We made three Christmas songs that they're, well, they're awesome. They're very heavily vocal featured and they're jazzy and they're just, they're phenomenal. They really, this music really highlights some stuff that I think Emery can do that other bands can't do. I'll put it that way. And so I think the video's on YouTube. And if you're a member of Emeryland, then you will get the files and the EP to listen to. Otherwise, Emeryland's sharing it with everybody on the video. You can find the video on YouTube, whatever. So join Emeryland, buy a hoodie. Uh, we've got a bunch of good stuff, merch and things that's great for the holidays. Black Friday, you name it. But make sure you go to emerymusic.com. Just see what Emery's up to. We got, we're fun. We're, we're, we're good. We're fun. You're, if, I know you know, but just come on. Th- this one's going to be really fun. Because, I mean, you know, Christmas and like everybody loves it. And it's like, you know. Also, when you're at emerymusic.com, you can see the tour dates. Devin and Toby are doing some acoustic shows coming up, like in Colorado and whatnot. And we're on tour in the southeast in January with Hawthorne Heights. And tickets are up for that. Going fast. Get yours. Derek Webb is on the show today. He's always great. Today's show is sponsored by Joybird. Create furniture that matches your own fearless style and get 25% off your first order at joybird.com slash badchristian25. That's joybird.com slash badchristian25. Here we go. Toilet paper can I put on that seat? What am I gonna read? Written on the walls, it's scary, y'all. It's scary at the truck stop, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Good, 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 good. I still got it. Nice to hear y'all all all laughing together. I just like to hear people laughing. You think that would just carry the podcast if we just laugh every few seconds for another 90 minutes? I wish. It just, my life's so shitty, I can't keep it up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, That's my usual strategy. So thinking about laughing it, it, itself, uh, I, laughing's a pretty funny activity. Like, it's a bizarre activity. We do it for a lot of reasons. Uh, have you all heard of the Darwin Awards? Yes. For instance. Mm-hmm. What are yes. the Darwin Awards? Tell me if you know. It's like for the uh, award for the stupidest people, right? Like the- <laughs> yeah. It's people that die doing stupid things. Oh, they actually die? I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, yeah look it up. I thought they were stupid. Oh, well, yeah, because uh, yeah, it's the Darwin Awards <laughs> in that you... <laughs> you 
are la- you know you, we laugh about it. I guess we laugh about it. But even if you were, even if they were, whoever gives them, I'm sure it's a humorous kind of thing. No. Um, look, Reva, can you look some up? I uh, just yeah. thought of yeah. it. But it, uh, yeah, the, it, yeah, you, Reva, look, look this up. This is super funny. Nine yeah, eleven. Hilarious. <laughs> Reva, nine eleven. No, don't laugh at that, Reva. No, there's no Darwin Awards on that. But Darwin Awards, Darwin for some joke. reason, when somebody dies doing something stupid. Somehow we're able to laugh about it, and everybody knows it's true. And I don't know why it's acceptable, but it seems to be in, in in some cases. And it's Darwin in the sense that they are weeded out of the gene pool. That's why they're called the Darwin Awards because natural selection selects against idiots that do things like, and then you fill in the blank. And so we kind of look at it that way. Now, yeah. so I think there have been a lot of people laugh at the Darwin Awards, but it occurs to me that there is a spot for the most laughed at death of all time and I know what it is and it's you know not, the wait I do. you know the most the most laughed at death of all time yes so Matt I'm just Carter. saying it exists <laughs> everybody everybody knows that there are laughing people laugh yeah. at deaths sometimes now yes the most laughed about death of all time does anybody have any guesses at what it is I know what it is um Elvis Presley on the toilet Mm, no, probably got some laughs though. Any other guesses? Reva, do you have um, any guess about a famous death that much laughter has been made about? Well, there's one on here about a guy's shoes melting. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I'm not, it's not a Darwin Award, but do you have a Darwin Award or two you could read to us? Is there anything okay. there? Just for an example. So, yep. So here's one. Shoot the gap. Two Texans die trying. So there was a drawbridge, and they tried to jump across it, and they failed. So there was a drawbridge that was like raising, and they tried to do that thing. I always wanted to do that. I always thought I could make it. (laughs) I'm a part of the Darwin Awards. I'm going to win one one day. You might. (laughs) Damn it. I know I'm a contender. I know I'm a contender. Uh, I know I could win one. And I'm saying, Uh, if I ever die doing something funny... Of course, you all have permission to laugh, right? I know. That's, of course, has to be you the have greatest. permission to laugh if I die. I mean, well, in fact, who, I hope you do. Well, who's the funniest then, Matt? <clears throat> okay. The most laughed at death of all time, and it's a runaway, and it's not even close if you think about it, is right in front of your nose. It is certainly Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> it is well, certainly Jeffrey Epstein should he be dead if it is true that he is dead is there has is never dead, right. been as much laughter generated by a person's death given the yeah. fact that first of all it's crazy yeah. it's funny nobody it's not funny even his death it really isn't funny but it nobody feels bad about laughing about it given who he is first of all right. and given the high profile of it everybody knows about it and given the proliferation of hilarious internet memes it's never yeah. been possible to laugh at a death this much right it's not even the, the, the meme thing is unbelievable that everybody just gets it and understands like it is crazy how many people how many memes i still see constantly of that and like some people go to like video links to do all kinds of crazy stuff i saw one where it's like a guy out in the middle of the ocean he catches a fish opens up pulls something out of the fish's mouth that says epstein didn't kill himself <laughs> i was like it's unbelievable like and this i just died laughing it's just so great like the all of these are just phenomenal that people would spend this much time doing this it's amazing it is so i mean i just want to say it's healthy or something like it's just great i mean i don't know how another way to say it but why is I, it the most laughed at then that's what it's i'm saying funny. Like, 
because it's, 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 it's hilarious. It's not his death isn't even funny at all. So it's a kind right. maybe you could disqualify what I'm saying on the basis of we're not really laughing at the death. We're laughing at the absurdity of yeah. the situation that we are yeah. in in 2019. It, it just, it's just insane and. And we're laughing about it because we're scared, we're nervous, we're uncomfortable, we're dealing with it. We know that there's crazy-ass shit in this world that we have no way of knowing, no way of parsing, no way of dealing with. It makes us laugh nervously, but yeah. it's fun, at yeah, least. I, and, I mean, it's tr- it, yeah. you know, people are barking up some of the right trees. It is changing culture. It's making people question. And if you don't think that that is a combined art form that everybody's participating in, that nobody's earning money on, and we're sharing together, and it is changing culture, you lost your mind. It's it's That's unbelievable. That's what a good use of social media. I mean, thank you. Like, th- this is a positive in my mind. Well, this, is the, mo- this is the most time ever where, I mean... By far, the majority of people realize this is shady. I mean, it, yeah. I don't even know if this is considered conspiracy theory that he's he didn't kill himself. Like this is just a it's lot. Of, that. A lot of rich people had a lot to lose, and they this guy died before. You know what I mean? Like it just everything about the whole story is very bizarre, and it's just not true that he killed himself. <laughs> it, it isn't true. Well, he might have had help or something. I mean, I don't care about the conspiratorial elements of it, but just the absurdity and the knowledge that this kind of stuff happens and the fact that it doesn't get covered right and people will, I mean, the fact that right. everybody knows this is crazy and weird and whatever, even if it's whatever the explanation is, we all know we don't know stuff and bad stuff happens and there's no way to know. It seems like there's no way to even correct for it, but at least we can talk about it this way and joke and that does have an effect. So people that don't like humor or anti-humor, this is a very practical example. It's better than making crackpot detailed conspiratorial videos where the guy talks like this and tell you what you're supposed to believe in it. I mean, that's not good. I don't like that stuff. This is healthy. This is a healthy way to deal with stuff. And I do see the conspiracy, even the guy that talks like this to tell you about 9-11 and when they did with the JFK, you know, whatever that crap is, that's made, it's still kind of cool that people are reacting to the giant structures by trying to create things and share information. That's, I think, more opportunistic and not the best way. But I'm starting to even feel that the flat earthers and stuff, of course, we all know they don't really believe that, but you have to understand that's just them expressing, no, I don't buy it. I know I'm being lied to. I know stuff's bullshit in this world that I don't have access to deal with. And I'm going to I'm going to do something about it. And that's something right. you can do is participate in, in, in that stuff. And I do think the conspiracy theories are, are negative or have negative impacts on, on, on real people. But this one's great. Everybody's laughing about this right in plain sight. It's, I mean, I just th- find that so wonderful. See, I feel like it, I'd take a different stance on this one. Um, hold on one second. So I take a different stance on this one because – it makes me feel like, oh, everybody realizes we're helpless and all you can do is laugh. Like, all you can do, like, I, I mean, there's not much you you can that's do true. about it. That, like, what? Uh, I, in the, in that's the, true. In the, era, in the era of the Me Too movement, we are laughing at a guy who definitely did sex trafficking with rich people, and there's a lot of really bad stuff going on, and the only thing you can do is make a meme and laugh about it. Yes. And nobody's getting but if in everybody trouble. Does like it, every, it matters. All the pictures that are, are with him with rich people, the Clintons, the Trumps, the all these uh, you know, rich and elite people, they were doing 
there's like a prince, I think, even. Like there, there are mm-hmm. people doing lots of bad things, and you can do nothing about it, and you have no say whatsoever. So you can make a video where Epstein didn't kill himself, but that is it. So, but that's, the, the, but that's the, powerful. But, but that's no, it's not powerful because it doesn't change anything. All you can do is laugh at it. All it no, is it, is laughing at how weak you are. You're not really yeah, laughing at Epstein, kill, Epstein killing himself. You're laughing at, oh, yeah, I can't do anything. Yes, yes, but that is something. That's not nothing. Don't est- underestimate the power of that type of thing is what I'm saying. Like, it's not what – you don't really have power to, like, change anything. We can't vote it different or anything. But yeah. the cultural awareness that we're being bullshitted and everybody saying, yes, we all agree with that can become really powerful. It can become powerful. It can lead to – you don't know what it could lead to. Like it, you don't know where this is leading. Like it, 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 it's the beginning of being able to accept some new realities and accept some harsh realities, and then individually be able to make changes or maybe look at third parties. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how it goes from here, but I mean, it's not nothing. If enough people said "fuck this," you can do something about it, and this is kind of that. Like it's it's an expression of "well, fuck this." Then I'm just going to do this, and if enough people do that, and it's a way of communicating. And signaling to other people, hey, we all should we do something about this? That's what it's, it's like the, the the flirtiest, least thing you can do, where you're saying, "Well, I'm just calling bullshit and, and clowning." But should we do something about this? Are we in trouble? Like that's good. It's beautiful. I don't know how to say it another way, but that's that's how it strikes me. But it, really funny that there's no contest about it being the funniest, not the funniest death of all time, the most humor generated from a death of all time. Okay, so we're going to take a second and pay a bill, and then we'll be on. And I want to tell you about Joybird here. So this is a sponsor that I really think is great. Joybird makes furniture, and I've become somewhat of a person who pays attention to furniture ever since I got into like wood and, and woodworking at some point, and I love their stuff. Now, you know how you have a style, like your own personal style? Like if you walk into a room, there's a, a you-ness to it. Your apartment feels a certain way. It's kind of reminds people of you. Well, your furniture can match your own style. Joybird's endless options to customize. The days of settling for something that isn't quite you, that's over. You don't have to worry about that now. They've got a new Autumn Daydream lookbook, which is their most adventurous one yet, and it's got some of the most unique room designs of bold colors and velvets that you can practically feel when you look through the screen. And how about this? I think you should go to Joybird's Instagram. It gives you a daily dose, so to speak, of what's trending in other homes and their customers. So the Gram is a good place to go to get a feel for Joybird as well as their website. So maybe you need your sofa to be a have a golden hue or a love seat that's like hot, the hottest red. Or maybe inviting baby blue or, I don't know, plush green velvet. How about that? But Joybird's got your back on all of those, all those things they can do. They offer a wide range of kid and pet-friendly upholstery options so that your creations can stand the test of time and the wrath and the fury of your furry friends and toddlers. They've got free fabric swatch kits that are available so you can actually see and touch of all their fabrics. And, you know, you'll get you'll make the perfect choice that way. That's, that's the way it was. But get some hands-on experience in your house and you'll know what to do. They have free personal design consultants that help you go from inspiration to creation. It's quality, handcrafted furniture. Each piece is made with the ultimate care and precision. It's real wood without all those harmful chemicals and it's responsibly sourced materials. 
They've got a limited lifetime warranty, 365-day home trial. You can skip the furniture store, bring the showroom home to you. You sleep on it, sit on it, break it in. If you don't love it, return it. They stand by their work. And if you want to send it back, there's free returns in two weeks of delivery where even the return itself is free. So you can create the furniture that matches your own fearless style at joybird.com slash badchristian25 and see how Joybird can help you make your dream space a reality today. It's joybird.com slash badchristian25. Go to joybird.com slash badchristian25 and receive an extra and receive an exclusive offer for 25% off your first order using the code BADCHRISTIAN25. Okay. I wonder, I wonder what the funniest death is, like the, where everybody was like dying laughing, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. It's probably too. one of those Darwin Award ones. But, I mean, somebody saw a death in their life that was the funniest death ever, and you were dying laughing, but you didn't you know maybe. <laughs> you, didn't know it was, it, you didn't know you were dying or what, but, I mean, there's something there that somebody saw. I, I mean, that's the thing that I do like about it is, I love that, or you can use all emotions to process information. Like, yes. this is something that's really bad. I, I hate it when people say, you can't laugh at that, or you can't make fun of that, no. or you can't do that. No, wait a minute. It, you cannot no. tell me that crying about something and looking sad is is a better way to always process something than laughing and helping yourself. Equal. For example, Same. I, had a, I had a friend, a uh, high school buddy, whose dad died. And we were sitting in the living room after the funeral and everybody was super low. And I just started making some jokes and some memories, telling some memories. And we started laughing and cutting up and it made the moment bearable in a way that would, couldn't, of course, everybody's sad uh, that, because you're laughing. Doesn't mean that you've forgotten somebody that, or the, the a situation like this, that that's the thing that I hate is like, Somehow you're immature and a bad person if you're trying to bring levity to a moment. As, as no, if, a if that's person. not a valid way to process something, right? Oh, or, or yeah, it's just a, it's just a. I mean, we laugh for all kind of reasons other than to hurt another person. That's ridiculous yeah. that people are are that way at all. But I mean, when my mom died, we were rehearsing. We were in the middle of a rehearsal. I left yep. rehearsal, took that call. It was out of nowhere, and I can't remember exactly what the joke was but you had made a joke within the first 40 minutes at least yeah. that i appreciate yeah. to this day I don't, I don't understand why you why that wouldn't be the case right yeah yeah i don't remember the joke but i mean that wasn't the only thing you did in the 40 minutes but i and then i don't know i mean i, I think when i got home i had a couple jokes from my dad and i don't know why yeah. wouldn't you why why yeah. would that and we cried i guess too i mean i don't know but both, right? Right. You, you do it all. Like, it, well, I think it's that's kind of mad. Yeah. Little, everything. It's all. Yeah. Good. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, you you sh you should be able to be really angry that your parent passes away, or you should be able to be really sad. You should be able to be really quiet or really loud or laugh or uh, remember how uh, your mom did this thing and it just is so annoying. And gosh, that just showed. Yeah. Make fun of her. Yeah. Like that's okay because that that actually <laughs> no. means you. She, if you don't do that, then you're actually stealing some of the humanity from people. Like, so. you know what I mean? Like making fun of Epstein is almost in a way humanizing everybody. Wait a minute. Okay. This is fishy. We can't, I, I can't just, I can't just only get mad that the government and the rich people are bad. That does nothing as well. 
So you like, know what else it does? Yes, that's a really good point too because a lot of the ways that we're controlled by the, the big systems and power dynamics are you people causing like doing things that they intend on you having a certain reaction to. Like a lot of yep. times people will put you in position for you to be outraged so that you will then that they have a follow up ready too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes you're controlled by people anticipating your behavior and instigating you into a certain emotional state where you're supposed to react a certain way and you can fucking take that power back if you don't react the way they want you to. Yep. You can you're take right. that power back if you can stop absorb something and make a joke. You are now driving is the way I look at that. 100%. Just the same way as you can do that if somebody's making fun of you. Absolutely. Or trying, if somebody's trying to hurt you, if you can go, hey, you can't hurt me. I can make a joke about myself worse than you can make. And I, I don't mm -hmm. care what you think. Then you are in control. I think a lot of times we let outside influences dictate what we think our identity is. And that means that somebody else is dictating what our identity is. And that is never going to be healthy. It's never going to work. So if you can say, if like you're talking about here, if you can make a joke about Epstein not killing himself, then at the, I do think in the very least you're saying, I'm not buying into this bullshit and you don't have control of me. And maybe I don't have the money, the power, the influence, the, the privilege that you do, but I can at least, under, my brain is mine and I'm, I'm going to make a joke and do what I want to do. Yep. I do think it has emergent power, though, still, that should be recognized. If you write a Facebook post that says how mad you are about the government, you know, hiding stuff from you in media, yeah. then that's not that useful, though. Like, that's not a very useful post. But if you make a hilarious fucking joke, now you're going to share your point of view with a, a million people. Right. So it has legs in that capacity for you to share your genuine feelings through a mimetic device. Oh, my gosh. Are you crazy? Thank you, Facebook. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just obviously good. Anyway, uh, I thought that was interesting. Y'all y'all think he's actually dead or murdered? I think so. Or, yeah, yeah. You think he is dead? Someone murdered him. <laughs> I mean, if I had to bet money, I don't think it's likely that any bet you make would be the right one. That's the problem with conspiracy theories. There's 10,000 things that could have happened, so there's not like a, a safe bet about it. But it but I would guess the most likely thing is I mean, it's possible that just, you know, happened or whatever. There is reason that he would want to kill himself, I guess. I'm thinking he probably got help in the, like, allowed to do the suicide. It's probably, I mean, I, it's possible that he was really involved in more stuff than just a bad guy or working with intelligence or had different, I, he might have been a fake person, some people say. I don't know. But it, it's, it seems reasonable that he was allowed to kill himself would be a reasonable possibility to me. I could see him still being alive. Like <laughs> It's possible. I don't think so, but it's possible. Uh, he's, he might be in some, you know, country outside of America, face change, all that stuff. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I hate that this is the truth about me. I do believe in some conspiracy theories and I'm superstitious. So I can't, mm -hmm. I hate it that I'm that way, but I am so stupid with that stuff. Like I get a little weirded out sometimes by uh, the number 13 or certain things that happen on a certain day. I don't know why. I get it from my dumbass family. But that is, even though they're unbelievable <laughs> Christian, like believing in Jesus, they are definitely very superstitious. So mm -hmm. if there's a, like, for example, on the treadmill, or I can't stop or get gas if it's on the 13. So I, you know what I mean? Like if, if something lines up with 13, I just keep going 
or I stop before it. Isn't that the I stupidest doubt, thing I you could hear? I doubt that you can't. I bet you, <laughs> in your superstitious mind, you would say it this way. <clears throat> I could... But it's not worth it. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm not going to chance it. Yeah, I'm not right. gambling you, you on could. this bullshit. <laughs> you're, you're not saying you have a, a mental Ill, illness or obsessive compulsive. You just right. think it's probably not worth it. Well, the, the saddest <laughs> thing about superstition is it makes me think, well, there can't be a God or anything. Because if I'm believing something so stupid as the gas meter is on 13 and uh-oh, that might not be lucky. Then I'm a fool in every possible way. Just anyway, belief. yeah. <laughs> You're right, right. <laughs> so sad. Yeah, I don't so think sad. I'm superstitious, anyway. but I would say I probably have, and I don't think I believe in conspiracy theories very readily at all. But I'm a sucker for joining a cult. I think you know. I'm, I think that's easy oh yeah, for me you get sucked into <laughs> yeah. systematic things that seem to provide answers that are logical and have answers. Those are very attractive to me. I have to avoid joining cults but not conspiracy theories those are very easy for me to reject and superstitions very easy for me to reject but for some reason those damn cults <laughs> they always get you <laughs> always, it's always like uh new grace church or something always you right you're immediately in well, it's the it's the cult aspect of church that I kind of like, is what I'm telling you. I mean, that's what I mean. No, Marcel is close to a cult in that way, and it it is the fact that it seems to be a comprehensive system that when I poke at answers, I find them, and I go, "Holy shit!" Right? There are logical and cults are more that way. Conspiracy theories is the opposite. So, it's oh, just that like, makes sense. Stupid. So, so a systematic. Uh, yes. formula gets you like they, they have it's ahead of I'm like okay right. well they're ahead of me so they must know something until I get to the eventually I had to join the cult and go all the way through it before I go yeah. oh there's nothing at the bottom of this but yeah. I had to get there because I go surely their answers somewhere look at that thick book of answers right that guy and they, I like yeah. that it's telling me what yeah. I want to hear so far so I'm obligated to look further but sometimes you know if it all it has to do is be able to get past me which ain't that hard and then i'm in the cult because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's it really seems good i mean it's a friends i mean you like it there's answers they're usually trying to do something good you know i mean it, it makes sense yeah. i think there's going to be a lot of, and i say that to be quite honest I, I i had to watch out for that and i don't think it's just me is what i'm saying i think a lot of our religion stuff can be healthy jesus bible good stuff but we like to make things that are like cults out of it. and i think that's going to increase yeah. i'm pretty sure that's going to increase is because people know how to people are getting better and better at de designing cults is, is a skill no yeah and one that we're yeah. getting better at so but we're not getting smarter i mean you know what i mean like no, you're still as vulnerable to superstition. Even almost the fact well, that you know it helps a little, but not a, enough. <laughs> so right. as cult as cult designers increase their skills and regular systematic and traditional religions, which was kind of counterbalanced, fade. I think yep. we'd just have more cults. So yeah, yep, same. Watch out for them. That's I'll be right. on the lookout too. Just a normal day for Matt is, man, I'm really enjoying these new friends. I, damn it, I'm in a cult again. <laughs> God dang <laughs> it, I'm motherfucker, damn it. <laughs> Steven Camp, you sons of bitch, damn it. Bridget, we're leaving. <laughs> we're in another damn cult. <laughs> I, I knew it. I knew it. All right, That's let's hilarious. bring on old uh, Derek Webb, our, our good old buddy Derek Webb, and uh, talk to him about his changes oh he's uh, culty as you as it gets <laughs> <that guy. laughs> he's you know what those living room shows are don't you 
<laughs> cults. No. You ever heard of micro cult? That's it. Yeah. You go and what you, a, uh, evangelize to each living room around the country and plant a micro cult and then check back in on it later. That ridiculous, that guy. Yeah, it's called the web. <laughs> it's called the web. The cult. <laughs> Dang it, he's going to get us. I, let's don't do this interview. Now we're going. He's too good, man. We're too right weak. into the trap again. God, dang it. <laughs> um, let me say before we bring Derek on that I could just uh, could not be happier about the Christmas EP we just made. It is uh, it's magical to me because I spent a ton of effort on it and it was the, it was a youthful type of effort that I haven't had with music in many years where I was just working on it and just loving it and just wanting the time to keep on going instead of get it done. And it's just been a really special project. And I've gone to some new levels of my thinking of art and music that it feels like growth and experimental to my mind. And it's just really, really motivating. And so I was, I had the sense last night when I got done and made the masters, just like I, for, I haven't had this in a while where I was like, I've got to share this with everybody. And even when we make albums and stuff, I don't normally feel that way. But this is such a fun thing. And it's so shareable, and it's done at a pretty high level, given its uh, purpose and budget and stuff. We didn't spend any money on it, and I think the budget was zero. We made it here, and I mean, there's marginal expense, but we made it here just sitting in this space that I'm in right now, and then we shot the video downstairs on a whim um, in a few hours, just we put the idea together and did it, and it just, it worked. Like, to have the ability to make media that I think is this cool and good for no reason to put it out for free with no budget, do it yourself. I never thought like there's not many other people involved in this project. It's just us and Andy shot with the camera who works on the other side of this wall from me. It's, I didn't know you. I mean, I never anticipated to be able to have all this skills to do that. Like just to have it. And it's, and it's not going to make any money. It's just free, but it's, it's so pure in that sense and it's connected to Christmas and it's just all fun and it's the closest thing to magic like youthfulness to me so I'm very excited about it and wanted to share it so I'm just saying in a genuine way I don't think we make any money if you watch it but just watch it watch the 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 music is embedded in the YouTube video Uh, I guess it is true that Emory Land people get it and so it does generate money so that's good but nonetheless I just wanted to I don't think brag is the word but share I'm so proud of me I'm so proud of Toby. I'm so proud of how Josh looks on the video and that we did it. It's just so it's like a it's just a youthful fun thing that I'm 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 very happy with. Yeah, I will agree with you, Matt. This it does feel like whimsical, whimsy with this <laughs> this music. Like it seems like you had a lot of fun playing those instruments and doing the recording. And I had, Devin and I had a lot of fun singing and even and I'll even say Matt, Dave, and Josh have a uh, a solo each vocally on this record, and Matt shows out he's crooning. Yeah. Uh, when you take you take the no, you take the song up a little bit. I was just like, man, I was enjoying myself. I played it for my family and the kids, and the, you know, it it really is fun. It is it, it it's neat to get to do Christmas music, no matter what. I love Christmas time. I love Christmas music, and so this is uh, kind of one of those milestones for me in our music career that I'm really happy about. You're happy with uh, the we the vocals being the centerpiece and just loud and proud. Oh and yes, good. it's just it was so much fun to work right. having that in place first. We did the vocals first and yep. had these just really really solid vocal takes. I knew were gold, and then it was just such a pleasure to work backwards from that. That's kind of yep. what made it fun to me. Yeah, I love it. 
Okie doke. Well, let's uh, pay a bill real quick here and then talk to Derek Webb. It's like I said, you won't believe what I've done. You won't believe what I've done. You won't fail and fight down the black dust. Enter the chest. Let's take a little left of the world. If you tell your brothers on yourself, your brothers on yourself. Regain the peace. Get already consumed. The paradox rejected. does and you've been listening to landslide defeater a single off of norma jean's newest record all hell which came out this past friday norma jean is one of those bands that never puts out a bad record and all hell is yet another example of that seriously it sounds amazing uh they're also touring with the devil wears prada throughout the country this fall so head over to their website for uh ticket information make sure to follow the band on spotify apple music or wherever you listen to music and make sure you don't miss any updates or new music all hell is everywhere now go listen to it wasn't that doc fucking awesome yeah it really was oh man i just thought it was really pretty stunning I just couldn't believe that it exists. I couldn't believe that Brandon managed to, you know, that, that, that Dave allowed it and that they captured it and that it all, I just can't believe there's docu- a document of all that. Yes. It's incredible. Let's just continue talking from there, but you're talking about the strange negotiations film. We had Brandon on a, a while back and I guess yep. you've seen the film too. When did you I see have, it? well, I just saw it about a week ago because, because um, I had supported them on Kickstarter and then I connected with Brandon and their, and the team who made the film and, um, and then they sent me a link to watch it cause I haven't, I, I didn't get that. They, they did some screenings. I know they're doing screenings all over the country and they did one here for the Nashville film festival, but I couldn't make it. And, uh, he was here, did Q and a, but he sent me a link to watch it. And I finally did about a week ago and just was stunned by it. I just think it's beautiful. Yeah, I did too. I, I and I was really worried as it started. I was like, cause it, Dave means so much to me and yeah. has been an influence. And I was like, this could be really cheesy and bad and it could just be, Yes, well, he's not a Christian anymore, and I was like, right. "Is that what it's going to be like?" If it just diminishes it only to that, but just the whole thing, captured, yeah, it's, it's really great. It's I totally great. agree. And to me, like my takeaway was like what it, and not to you know, 
be reductionistic or oversimplify anything, but it seemed like my the big picture takeaway, knowing Dave the way I do a little bit and and knowing that scene a little bit, there was a lot of it that felt like scenes I've seen myself and playing my own house shows and stuff like that. It felt like here's a guy who really deeply feels and cares about the space that he's in and has been in and represents to a lot of people. And it's like, here's the story of him bearing in his physical body the kind of existential pain of going through and dealing with and processing his version of deconstruction and the way he ba- he bears that for other people and and the and I feel like that spoke so much to like his kind of off again on again alcoholism and you know whatever else he's he's had to do to uh to physically deal with carrying all that and how deeply he cares and feels it cares about and feels it like that seemed to be a lot of the story and i think that's a side of dave a lot of people don't know like how emotionally immediately emotionally available he is all the time mm-hmm. um how deeply he's really feeling the things that he's talking about he's not cavalier he's not a bull in a china shop he really cares and anybody who's ever talked to him knows he's not a guy who will fight with you um he's a guy who if you you know, I've seen a handful of times like people come to his shows, and uh, and and even kind of get belligerent with him during the Q and A. And at the end of the night, it's like, oh, where's Dave? And he's over at the bar with his arm around that guy, crying. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's like you know, he's that's the kind of guy he is, and I just love that it dignified, you know, how emotional and difficult that whole thing can be, and kind of him bearing it in his body and 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 personifying it. I just you, thought it was you, I mean, you, you had to really relate to it, didn't you? I mean, like, think about, like, I, I mean, I, like it, it's funny now that we're talking about this, like going from, I mean, you had more Christian success than Pedro the lion. I mean, you know what I mean? People it, put, put you on a sense, pedestal, uh, on a pedestal, didn't they? And like, you were uh, yeah. unbelievably influential to people in the Christian well, I, world. Well, I appreciate that. I think, um, I pre- you know, but but I mean in a good way. Is, no, no, no. <laughs> I, know, I, know. I know what you mean. <laughs> no, but but the the difference is, I was talking to my wife about this and my manager yesterday. The difference is, it's like as if it what, what, his trajectory and his place in in the scene in that scene is is as as though Cademan's, which is my old band, as, as if we had continued um, and kept going and oh, always yeah. been semi relevant. You know, which we haven't been for a long time. I mean, I left that band. I left Cademan's, uh, you know, let's see, I left the band in almost 20 years ago. You know, like, wow. so like, like Cademan's hasn't been active in a long time. Pedro and Cademan's was like a seven piece collective. Pedro was Dave. I mean, it was Dave right. and Walsh, but right. it was really Dave. And he was the, such a major voice. And, and, you know, his Bazan stuff, his solo stuff and the Pedro stuff has all been pretty indistinguishable to people who are big fans. And so I remember having a conversation with Dave here in Nashville the, the morning after um, one of his house shows here, and he was when he was kind of thinking through taking back the Pedro moniker because he was like, "Man, it's all the same thing to me," is what he was saying. You know, it's like, and so like if I call it Bazan and I get fifty people in a house show, or else I call it Pedro and I get three hundred people in a bar, it's all the same thing. Well, I'm just—I think I'm just going to start calling it Pedro again. It's just the same thing to him. It's like yeah. there was no difference, no divide, and um, and so he's been on that same trajectory. And it, it for him, it's like a 
slow growing thing over a long time that has meant a lot to a lot of people. Now, if if Cademan's call had mostly be had mostly been just me, and I was able to pick it back up and relaunch Cademan's call as a thing in 2019. That'd be a whole different ball game. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> it would be hilarious. Um, but you know, so that that's kind of the difference between what we're doing. Um, yeah. You know, and I also went through a very public divorce and like kind of. Right. I think I dropped a lot of people off during uh, for a couple of years, and you know, went through some some severe distrust, and you know, and there was a real break in relationship with me and some of my people. Dave's thing has just been this slow progression of belief transition that he's gone through. Yeah. And so his has just been a lot cleaner and longer and unbroken. Um, otherwise, I relate deeply with his story, absolutely. Yeah, now I'm in a state of slight paranoia to think, I know I like the film because of that, and I get why you like it and understand it, but I'm still now wondering if the guys who, that's still a small club of Dave and you and people like us who've been actively yeah. vulnerably doing things like deconstructing and then have the masochistic sense to want to go to living rooms and, and that and to put yourself <laughs> right. in all the positions that, that we choose to because I contrast that very much. I'm not heralding it as a he- heroic or anything. I'm just saying yeah. most musicians avoid that kind of stuff. It's just a strange phenomenon that we've all done it. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah but, they, but you know, yeah. do you do you find a fundamental difference? And and so I'm I'm saying I don't know if other people will like this movie or if it's just made for me and you. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I I, I really sure. feel I I definitely feel that because it's such a bullseye for me watching. Right. I'm just like God. This they literally could have only made this for me. Um, but you know the response from a lot of my friends here in Nashville and and definitely the response I've been able to intuit online, just kind of watching and cheering them on, seems to be that. It, it is giving real language and real voice and real emotional catharsis to a lot of people who are re- resonate with a guy like Dave and, and, and less so with a guy like me um, just because of the difference in our popularity, God knows, and who are just going through it for the same reason that people resonated with the Airing of Grief podcast or anything else that any of us have done or, or you guys' podcast. Just people who are looking for safe spaces to kind of go through hard, vulnerable things and kind of be in the quicksand a little bit, you know. But it's that's like, a non-musician thing, though. I mean, do you? I mean, I say this from time to time, but tell me, verify me, or correct me, or whatever here. But do you not feel that most musicians are very guarded and not really, yeah, putting themselves in positions to be vulnerable? On with, there's not a lot of reward in it, career-wise <laughs> or something. <laughs> But, but I you think know, that's, if you hear a musician on a podcast, it's almost always super boring and not good. That's right. And what, I think that, you know, that's I think that's true. Or, or, you know. Well, I, I think that what you're talking about is there is just different, I don't want to say classes, but there's just different lanes. I don't think it's like, I've thought a lot about this. I don't think it's like a responsibility necessarily of artists to take up kind of a prophetic, a prophetic mantle, which is really just a speaking truth to power or or being vulnerable with a spoken truth. I think that's not required. Lord knows some music is just for dancing. Sure. Um, yeah. you know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. You don't need but ACDC I, to just to, to, you don't need those guys to come out and do a million podcasts and tell their inside story and what they, it, and it I don't matter. really need to know more they about their to. lives. It's just some, right. some band, some music is just for, in other words, the great thing about music is, um, it in every way reflects the way that the artist sees the world. And some people just 
carry it and do it a different way. And they, and maybe that's not something that's that that's, they're not comfortable, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, spilling their guts and spreading their ribs out for people in a way that a guy like Dave or maybe a guy like me kind of can't help but do it that way. I kind of don't feel like it's worth doing if it's not life or death. If it's not life or death or intense vulnerability, I don't feel like it's even worth doing. Like I would never be satisfied making a a sweet little singer-songwriter record. But a lot of my friends, especially here in Nashville, that's all they do. And it's zero compromise for them to do that. They're not compromising. Whereas for me, it would be a hundred percent compromise. And for them, it'd be really strange and a a weird exercise to invite people in to critique their insides, (laughs) which is kind of what you're describing. It's a weird vulnerability. And I think you have to kind of be wired to, to, to be okay with that. And it's either, it's either like you were talking about, you know, most artists being really guarded, you either have to be hyper guarded or you have to, be like I feel like I'm wired the opposite way like I I have problems but one of my problems is not people pleasing and I have a lot of friends who have that people pleasing muscle that just is super reactive I don't have anything remotely like that I really don't and sometimes to my severe detriment but mostly I try to use my powers for good in terms of like if I can manage to not care genuinely what people think about me and even mm-hmm. really enjoy people's critiques sometimes mm-hmm. um I should use that. I should, I should take advantage and I should really try to figure out what are artists who are overwired to people, please, afraid to talk about. And maybe let me take all that up and just talk about all that because it doesn't bother me in the least um, for people not to like me. Um, Interesting. And, and so I try to, I try to like um, steward that well. Uh, do you know what I mean? Um, whereas I think a guy like Dave, I don't know if he's just thick skinned or. Um, you know, I don't really, you know, I, because he is a real, he's a, he's an introverted guy and, uh, or at least he, he's, he's, um, he's not as gregarious and extroverted, I think, as maybe I am, yeah. um, is not what I get off him. Just his right. general energy is a more of a, a calm. He's more of kind of a, he's got kind of a monkish energy to him, mm-hmm. to me. He's a deep thinker. Um, and he's definitely a truth teller. He's a, he's a guy with a lot of courage, but I don't know that he necessarily yeah. enjoys it. I, whereas I really do, I feed off of it. There's a need um, there that that that's what I'm saying. Like on one hand, I think it's good to be that way, but it just happens to be the way that I'm naturally that way. And I want. I'm that way is too. There a sicker side to it. Like, is it? Is there something that's wrong with it? Is it easy? <laughs> right. It's 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 like there's a yep. risk reward to it. Is the stakes yep. are high because now, uh oh, like I, I'm on like this might go bad. I, this, do I need that? Yes. It's like a thrill seeker or something. Like, it I has need to it be to both, possibly. right? Like it, it almost feels punk in a way. Think about it this way, like uh-huh. Matt. You said that when we were interviewing Brandon, you said that you referred to Dave as basically like a prophet in a mm-hmm. way. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, way. it's it's funny if you think about it in terms of like an evangelist or a, a disciple, like the the culture that you go into now, like I, I'm a Christian and the culture I go into, I know when I go to that living room, the, some of the questions, I know what we're going to get. And some of them are going to try yeah. to cut my heart in two and ask me something very deep about my God. And I'm going to have to answer it fairly quickly or whatever. And I still go because part of it is I want that pain and I want to be like, fuck you, you know, yeah. uh, to those people <laughs> in a way. And then to, I also want to, I, I love the, the moment too where, there's a real beautiful moment where you share with somebody about God, maybe standing out by your car or in the kitchen. And there's, you know, like, you know, how like evangelists and Christians say, I went there for, even for that one person, 
You know, yes. I know that it changed their life. Like sometimes I feel that way. Like if we're in a living room and there's that one person and we, and I was like, Oh, it, like I felt better about God and yeah. about Jesus and all of those things for me personally. Like it, it, like it, it really does mean something. And I wonder Dave's at a different point, obviously with his faith, with his faith, but there, there is something there that the pain and the joy of it is really uh, sweet to feel like, or I want to go for it. You know, that, that yeah. sugary sweet to be there. Well, I feel like that prophetic thing you're talking about and the way that I certainly talk about it, if I ever use a word like that, is just to be a radical truth teller. And yeah. Dave certainly is. And, and, and I don't think it, I, I'm not like giving any qualification to the, the truth. I'm saying if you're radically telling it, I think there's something prophetic about that. And, I, and the other thing that I think of hearing you talk about the way, you know, how you, your experience with it, and I think Dave would say this, and I would certainly say this, is that there are some people who are, um, uh, who, who have some wiring to um, want to use their experience. It's, it's like I, the, the word that's come to mind that I want to be careful to use, but is like ministry. Yeah. It's like ministry. And here's the thing. What's funny is, and I think Dave would say this about what he does, um, and I certainly feel it about what I do, ironically, more so now than I ever have on the other side of my own kind of Christian belief, I, yeah. is I feel I've never ever, in all my years, including my 10 years in Cadence Call, I never ever felt as though what I was doing was ministry. And a lot of people would put that name on it and would yeah. say, oh, I, you know, thanks for your ministry. And I would always, I know what they, what they mean. And so I'm not looking to somebody who's trying to give, who's trying to, it's an, it's an expression of care and gratitude and I right. receive mm-hmm. it. And I'm not yep. going to try to correct you. Yeah. But the way I always thought about it was like, I don't show up to work every day for uh, the sake of other people and to, to comfort and take care of people. And to, I'm, I'm a singer and a songwriter. I'm a professional musician. I'm not a professional. I'm not a vocational minister. I'm a vocational artist. And so I show up to, to write the best songs I can perform them with excellence. That's my job. That's what I'm here to do. If, if ministry happens in the performance of my job, in the performing of my job, well, that's, that's cool with me. And it's like my brother who is a believer and he's a, a doctor in Lincoln, Nebraska, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, a general practice doctor. He's a, he's a, and so he shows up to every, every day to work in order to provide excellent health care to people. Now, he's also a Christian, so if there's opportunities to do conventional, as he might see at ministry, and people ask him about his faith, or there's things, I mean, he has people who go to his church and he's there providing care for them, then that might come up and he wants to be ready and, and looking for those opportunities, take advantage of them. But that's not why he goes to work every day. And I've always, I've always felt the same way. But what's interesting is, here on the other side of kind of a deconversion for me, no longer identifying as a Christian, I absolutely now show up to work feeling like I want to, it's like when I made the fingers crossed record a few years ago, and certainly this targets record that I've made that's coming out in February, like a lot of my motivation for doing these records now is ministry. And what I mean is I want people who are going through deconstruction, deconversion, whether or not they land on the, the unbelieving side or um, or uh, uh, prevailing on the believing side, what, wherever they wind up, I want them to know that they're not alone. That matters a lot to me because I felt very alone going through it. And a lot of people do because the church is good at congregating. But once you're out of the church, there's no congregating. And you don't realize that there's a lot of people going through what you're going through, feeling what you're feeling, but you can't find them anymore. And yeah. so like it mattered a lot. And so it matters a lot to me that people don't feel alone, that they feel comforted going through it wherever they land. That's what the Area of Grief podcast has been about for us is like 
wanting people to have a place to tell their stories and to hear stories that are like their stories in order to feel not alone. And I literally feel like I'm going to do ministry now when I go to playhouse shows and concerts because I'm there. And like, so a lot of the Target songs, I was trying to write, I was literally thinking first time in 25 years of being a songwriter professionally that I've ever had this thought, what is language that people need for me to help provide for them to be able to articulate the experiences that they're having in a way that they feel less alone and understood? And it's like, it's like what I would imagine a hymn, someone trying to write hymns for the church would think. Yeah. What is the language of my community that they need to express how they're feeling and their beliefs and their experiences and their spirituality? What are words I can help provide for them to sing that helps, that helps us as a community go through this together better? That's literally, that, that, that was my thought and that was my ethic, writing all the songs on targets. I've never had that experience in 25 years. I'm finally... Here in my 25th year on the other side of belief, finally landing in a position of ministry. That's pretty cool. And it's um, a strange thing. I think Dave would say it too. Yeah, yeah I think that there's, I think I'm tracking with that. It's, it's, it's really hard to understand, but I, I start to think more and more about what I think is Christ-like or the gospel. Yeah. And it, it's super different than, than what I used to would have said. And it's usually a unmeasurable, a smaller a personal, a, these other things that are not so countable or systemic or, or, yeah. or fit in, in those terms. Um, so you talk about the, the album Targets. It's coming out in February. That's a long time yes. from now to be out it promoting is. it. How, what's the, what's the <laughs> thinking on that? You're somebody who, and this is what I'd like to talk about from, from here, is very flexible. That's another theme here with doing things differently. You do a podcast. You did Noise Trade. Yeah. Uh, you do the living room show. You have a, a podcast now. Where, yeah, yeah. Daring of Grief is yeah. is the podcast that I have been a producer on, and um, that I'm. Yeah, but you. But the point being that whatever's in the new horizon musically or experimental ways of performing or releasing music, Derek Webb's going to be there. You're going to be there <laughs> first or or soon I'm just a or trying different. Well, tell me about the mentality though, because I mean things keep changing and a lot of them yes. don't work out, and then they keep like are all no. these different things you do. How do you look at them as failures or what? Yep. Well, I mean, everything eventually fails. Right. Yeah. No, no, there is no one solution that lasts forever. I mean, Noise Trade mm -hmm. was a great solution in 2008 when I when I when I launched it, um, and it was for at least you know ten years or so was actually a, a great solution, giving music away for free, but for emails and zip codes, and which gives mm -hmm. artists a shit ton of data with which they can make money and. I mean, that was a great solution. It was revolutionary at the time. Absolutely. Um, you know, that company got bought and sold twice, you know, since, uh, since I've run it. And, and it's still actually Pace, uh, Pace Magazine uh, owns it now and they're still running it. And it's still, it's, 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 it's um, evolved uh, a little bit over the years, but the, you know, that was a great solution at the time. Um, for me, House Shows, as you mentioned, has been a, a great solution um, and a really great way of touring. It, it really hits the bullseye in terms of scaling authenticity and, and and uh, and keeping the most important people who want the most access really close and super serving super fans, which has always been my my uh, you know my mission and the way I've made a, a living. But, and so you know, um, but this time around with targets, like fingers crossed, which is the my 2017 record. When I finished that record, there was an emotional immediacy to that record. As soon as I got the master back. I was. I had plans to wait and hang on to it, do a little marketing, kind of maybe release a single or two, and kind of do the thing you do. 
um, look for somebody maybe to license it and put it out for me. When I got that master back, I was like, I can't wait. Like the, 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 the ink wasn't even dry. The ink and the tears weren't even dry on the page. I, I needed people to hear that stuff right away. So I literally released it a week later. I just mm-hmm. dropped it. I just kind of Beyonce style, just kind of dropped it out there and with no plan. And uh, I, I literally made a quick little video for a song on my laptop between the week that I got the masters back and the week I put it out. And, uh, and that was it. And that was the right thing to do for that record because it was such an emotionally raw and vulnerable record and risky record emotionally. That's what it needed. Now targets has actually been finished for about a year. And, um, targets is basically for anybody who followed the fingers crossed record. That was a record of basically that I called kind of a tale of two divorces. It was a document of my, going through a divorce and going through a deconstruction of my Christian spirituality. So it's kind of a record about me losing everything that made me, me, every, everything that was like, that made, made my personality that, that I was, my personality was anchored to. I lost over a handful of years and fingers crossed was the document of that, of those stories. Targets is a record about, it is a defiantly joyous rock and roll record about love and unbelief. It is like, jams about me finding everything I lost on fingers crossed. You found it all, huh? It all came back. I mean, literally, I mean, and like, I mean, and I could talk about every bit of it. Like I'm remarried. I've never been happier in my life. I'm really settled in my, where I'm at with spirituality. I, you know, I really feel I've never been happier and you can hear it in the first five seconds of targets. Um, I've always said about my records that if I've done my job right, in the first 30 seconds of the first song of one of my records, you can immediately tell what kind of year I've had. Um, and you can tell it on fingers crossed and you can tell it on targets. And so with this record, there wasn't as much urgency and I have a little more ambition with this one. It's like a, it's a 35 minute rock jam. It's like a barn burner. Like I didn't want to rush it. I wanted this record to connect with many, as, as many people as possible. So, and I've got new management. And so we were like, you know what, let's take some time and let's like, let people kind of sit with some of these songs. So we're releasing singles a month at a time, four singles till it comes out in February. So we're not in a rush. And that's why I'm here talking to you and the record comes out at the end of February. <laughs> was it a, uh, like, were you during that, the, the previous, uh, you know, before targets are leading up to it, where was you say there's a change, like you're, you're happier. You found the things that you've lost. Were you, were you, was it a, was it dark? Were you bitter? Were you angry? What What were you feeling? And then what What changed? Like to be able because I mean you're right. Like to write a a happier song or a happier album or a more uh, an album that's describing you now. It 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 can't. It just doesn't happen. You just don't decide that. Like you actually have to feel it. Oh, absolutely. Well, and the thing is, so that's kind of what Fingers Crossed was. Fingers Crossed is a dark, sad, heavy, long record, and. And it took me, I almost, I didn't know if I would ever make a record again. You know, Fingers Crossed was the first record I put out on the other side of kind of going through my spiritual deconstruction, going through a divorce. It was like, you know, and it was the document of all that. And anybody who's heard that record, I mean, knows, you know, and I spent, you know, 18 months touring house shows, playing the entire record every night. Like I really put myself through the ringer until I really knew that every ounce of the grief that I needed to process was over. You know, I remember... I remember being out on the road, touring that record, playing all those songs, heavy, heavy night, a lot of tears every night, you know, everybody who came, me. And I remember getting to the point where I was like, oh my God, it's like finding the end of the internet. I was like, I found the end 
of, I really put the work in, I really processed all the grief and all the, and I remember like getting to the end of it and, and really feeling such a relief that like the grief, I found the end of it and, yeah. I, and I'd really put in the time. And then I was like, oh shit, like I've only got two more months of shows. Oh, <laughs> great. You know? And so, so I, mean, I really like, I really got through it. I really went through it. Yeah. Fake and, tears for 10x two months. Just well, you know, but, but I still really resonated with the songs and, and so, but I was, the point that I'm making is I really processed it. I put in the time. I, I learned everything I possibly could from all the failure of, of you know, that I, that I own uh, my part, my side of the street with all that part of my life. I, 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 I really put in, you know, that time and, and, and learned everything I could. And then I was like immediately ready for something new. I, my energy really changed. Um, my now wife, you know, like we, we spent two years kind of going through our story and processing everything that we needed to, to, to really take those next steps and to be where we're at. And so like, and just spending 18 months with fingers crossed, I was just yeah. ready. I was ready for like, my energy had shifted. Um, like I said, I processed all that grief and, and I was like ready for the grief to be over. I was like, Oh, like I'm, I'm done. And, mm-hmm. and for a lot of people who were listening to our podcast, it was like, it was just a lot of, he- a lot of weight and a lot of grief and a lot of processing of grief. And there's just a point, if you really spend the time and you get healthy, it's like, I'm ready for something new. I'm ready. And I was like, okay, well, what am I ready yeah. for? What, what are my feelings? Like when I look at the world and I try to describe it, which I've always said is an artist's job, wh- how does the world look to me now? And immediately it was like different colors, different sounds. Like, cause what is the sound of joyous, you know, of like defiant joy? You know, like joy despite years of sadness and years of grief. And what is that sound? Shit, dude, it's rock. It's punk rock. It's exactly what you said. It's like, and so I immediately just like picked up new instruments, started making new sounds. I didn't want to do it by myself in a cave with my headphones on like I made my last few records. Like I played every instrument on Fingers Crossed. I, I, I did everything but mix that record. It was like a solitary experience. Targets. Is me and a couple old of longtime pals getting in a room with our engineer, the four of us in a room, and just bashing it out, bashing out rock jams. We made that whole record in a couple of weeks, you know, and it just happened and it was like joyous and loud and fucking awesome, you know, and that's the new energy. Um, and yeah, you know, so it's like, so it didn't take, it didn't happen overnight. And I, and it, and you have to put the time in to get there. But boy, once I got there, it was like guns a blazing. I couldn't wait, you know. Yeah. I I think a lot of people don't realize that. That's one of the things I I do these, uh, uh, I call them true Mm. man events where I meet up with a bunch of guys in the living room and we hang out and talk and just get some stuff. I think you're right. We haven't been taught how to grieve and the time that is needed to actually grieve. You know, it's, it's that, it's that idea of, uh, something bad happens and maybe you get a week off work and you, and you're back at it in the world or, you know, you, you don't, you don't spend time processing the things you've lost. And what that actually means to you and what they, how yep. those things hold on to your heart and who you are and all those things. And so to be able to spend the time, you, you can get to the end of grieving and not that, that does nothing about forgetting about it or oh, no, not no, remembering. Yeah, you those, know, those things are part of your life forever, but no, those wounds will be with me forever. It. And it's always yeah. going to be part of my story and part of who I am. And I've got a lot of songs that'll follow me for the rest of my life that I'm going to yeah. sing and that are all part of it, you know, and part of the document of all that. But I'll tell you one one bit of confession, you know, that I will give you in case it resonates with any any of the kind of guys you're talking about or people who might hear this conversation. One thing I'm really good at, and it's part of 
you know, almost like what we were, what we were talking about before. Um, and you know, what Matt was mentioning is like, I, what I'm good at is pivoting. I'm good at, I'm adaptable. I'm good at, I'm, I'm, I'm a course corrector and I do it quick. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm, if I feel like something's not working, then I adapt and I pivot fast. And, and that's, that's, and, and from a business standpoint, that's always served me really well. And that's why I'm in my 25th year of making a career out of this thing. But emotionally and personally, relationally, that didn't serve me well for a long time because what would happen is I would kind of sniff out that, that failure coming at me mm. and rather than try to sit with it or live with it or learn from it, because the thing is failure is the best. There is nothing more valuable in your life mm-hmm. than failure. We should be failing more, more often, and then more, more quickly, like fail because like failure is where you learn everything success most people don't learn anything from success you 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 blow right past it you 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 presume you either feel entitled to it or you put pressure on yourself and you presume that you you should be succeeding and you don't learn anything and you and then you're more pressure to succeed more and bigger next Mm -hmm. time but when you fail you pump the brakes and you pull the car over and you're like what the fuck happened back there what's going on but if you course correct too quickly like i do you learn nothing from it you just learn how to avoid it. You learn how to... And so I feel like a lot of the failure that I've gone through in my life, including my divorce and including a lot of other things, was the result of me blowing past failure too quickly, correcting too quickly, to where I wasn't learning anything. I didn't learn what had... Like, why was I failing? Why were there cycles of failure in my life that kept leading to the same problems? I, wasn't, I was just adapting rather than learning from the failure and like sitting with it, letting it teach yeah. me some stuff. Because that's what guys especially don't want to do. They don't want to admit failure and vulnerability. They want to project success and they want to project strength. And it's like they're, the best thing, the, 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 the best ultimate strength that you can show is your ability to learn from failure, sit with it, and adapt with all the best new information that you can get from learning from the failure. That's where I finally got to. And that's yeah. why I'm now like in the best, happiest season of my life, remarried and never been happier is because I learned a shit ton of stuff from all. I finally slowed down enough to see and, and process and learn from the failure and get healthy with it to not repeat it anymore. If you correct too quickly, you're just going to get into a cycle like, like that circle around Big Ben. You're just going to cycle around and continue in that cycle of failure forever. Yeah, and that's the worst that's thing really, that can happen really to funny you. Th- thing that th- I mean, the things that you're saying and the stuff I keep encountering doing podcasts and these conversations is always so funny. Uh, funny's not the right word for it, but I know what you mean. It's weird that we have podcasting and these ways to get to these conversations because, I, I, and I can't help but be myopic in my thinking. But I just see everybody having their what it would be traditionally called a midlife crisis. But it's just yeah. the things you're able to see around this age. And be able to the amount that they're shared and that other people are going through them is a, you, I didn't think that I don't know that the previous generations had as much of that because even the stuff you're saying right there is is like useful to me because I've gone through similar things and absolutely the, the failure stuff is right I, I always think of it as in business and creative I, I hadn't really connected on the personal level like you're saying and yep. my avoidance of it. But I'm a big time proponent of low stakes mistakes. I mean that's my parenting style <laughs> yeah, absolutely. and everything. That's what we're here to do. However, when it's actually on a personal level and the stakes are high, I understood when you were talking there that a way I deal with that often is just simply change my goals. 
Yeah. If I can like, okay, well, this isn't this is scary or not gonna work or this relationship would be strained or failed unless I just pivot and say, Oh, I'll be okay with this then. Like yeah. I'm a, yeah. I just adapt and say, Okay, well then this will be what we're doing now. And that's and then a great that can skill. Put you in some unhealthy systems. No, and that's a great skill. Because you're afraid of the personal actual conflict that is inherently there. And if I'd have stayed yep. on course of what I knew I wanted then there would have been conflict. So you're yeah. right. I, I have avoided m much of that just by pivoting and adapting on a personal level. And I think that's why, and well, and, 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 you know, I think that's why people who are great problem solvers in business and who are creative and really adaptable like you are. And I'm, I, I am, that's why that, that's the other side of the coin. That's the shadow side that can sometimes come and bite us personally Yeah, is because when you're really good at seeing what's around that corner or two, you can you get Avoid into avoidance yeah. rather than let's face it and let's yeah. learn um, and then let's change. Like that's never because in business, I think that's you're, it's you're definitely rewarded for being able to uh -huh. see. It's like that whole Wayne Gretzky, like you know, see where the puck's going kind of thing. And yep. and it's great to be able to get out in front of that stuff. But if you get out in front of your personal stuff to the point where you get Shit. good at avoiding your own uh, per, uh, personal relational weaknesses then you're never going to confront them and learn from them and adapt and change. Yep. But with good new information, you're never going to be able to do that. So what's going to happen is you, when, when you had moments that, as you said, and I love that, when you could, low, you could make mistakes with the stakes low, mm -hmm. what's going to happen is the more you avoid it, the further that landmine gets right. buried because you avoid yeah. it for so long. Now it's high stakes. That, that when you finally go over it, it's an explosion. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that's that's I feel like that's a lot of what I went through and I'm so grateful to have learned some stuff that I'm not bringing into my future and um but it's just different. It's crazy how y those gut instincts and those great skills um and those gifts that can really help you in a in a business or an, an entrepreneurial situation can really bite you in a personal situation. You got to shift, you got to downshift and and you got to be aware of that that you don't operate in your personal life that way. And I had to learn that the hard way. So let's talk about your remarriage. You uh, <clears throat> mentioned it a couple of times, so I feel free yes. enough to ask. Oh sure. And yeah. you're always a good. You're always pretty good about that kind of thing. Yeah, you're always first. Like you, you, you got divorced before it was cool for Christians to yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Now, now Josh Harris, he gets divorced, and and it, now all of a sudden he's he, he apologizes for his book, and he's a pro LGBTQ. He gets to do it all in a week. You had to live it out forever. <laughs> I, I did. I did it over a couple of years. I've actually I've actually communicated with Josh some about this. It's like I, I took a few. Years Years to do it, he did it all in a week. That's true. Yeah, no, he got it all out. I was like, well, God, that was pretty fast. He's like, wham, bam, bam, bam. The, the, the early Let's people had to take it a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> You know how they say then uh, that you're devote. You know uh, the classical wisdom would go something along the lines of you 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 bring all your same shit to your next marriage and the second yep. marriage isn't any more likely or less likely to be successful. Yeah, the stats are terrible. Yeah. So so how do you think about that? Uh, why is it going to be different this time? Or oh well, it? I mean, well honestly, like I mean, the, the main reason is so much of what we just talked about mm -hmm. is you know. I finally, and I think like you were saying, you know, it's like what, what Richard Rohr would talk about the, the second half of life stuff. It's like when you finally, um, you know, get to the point where you break that cycle of avoiding avoidance, 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 and you finally face some things and learn some things. And, um, and you know, so for me, I am easily the best version of myself I've ever been, and so is my wife. You know, we've both been through a lot of stuff. And we're bringing everything we've ever learned, and all, and you know, we've we and we worked really hard to get really healthy personally before we got into this thing. And uh, you know, we we were together for 
a little while and then broke up and weren't together for about a year and then got back together for more than a year before we got married. And we spent that year off not thinking we would ever see each other again, but um, learning and adapting and going through and getting healthy around some things that um, we realized we would need if we were going to make this thing really work. Um, yeah. And then we came and then we came running at it. Um, and, uh, you know, so I think that, you know, I think a lot of those statistics are uh, about second marriages and things like that. Those, those those things are right on and almost self-evident because a lot of people go running in without mm-hmm. learning anything because they're looking to to um, put the the uh, the weight and burden onto another person that really they need to spend some time learning some shit about themselves and the other person as well to to bring some good patterns and some good healthy you know um, new information into a into a big relationship and if you rush into that sort of thing you're just absolutely doomed to circle right over those same landmines. Um, and my wife and I, you know, really put the, the time in before we did that. And, and, and our relationship isn't, isn't simple either. I mean, she's, this is all public information, so I don't mind bringing it up here, but you know, she's, she plays music too. She's in a, a really big, uh, Christian worship band, um, called I am they, and they tour all over the world with, uh, casting crowns and, you know, they're, they, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're amazing, and I, and they've got no bigger fan than me in the world. And I just I love her, and I support her like crazy. And I love her band. I, they're amazing, good people, and I really believe in what they're doing. And um, so you know, we're we're not even on the same uh, exact same page in terms of what we believe, but we love and respect the shit out of each other. Yeah. Um, and so and 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 what I always say is, you don't want to make permanent decisions based on impermanent circumstances. And um, so what we know is, you know, as we process through and, and go through our, our respective spirituality and our spiritual journeys, we just know that that's a thing we want to do together. Yeah. Um, and we have enough respect. I respect the hell out of her. She's the smartest woman I know. And, um, and I just want to go through, she's a partner I want to have as I'm going through all of my uncertainty about spirituality. I want her mm-hmm. with me. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so, so it's interesting. It's all kind of fascinating. Yeah, um, it, it is because uh, you get, you get the sense of going through personal transformation and making mistakes and growing and learning like that, that you're better equipped, That's right. you know, this time. So, so that point is taken, but then that begs the other question is, had you known what you know now, would you have been, would your first marriage have been, then succeeded? I know. And, and, and there's you know, just no, that's, it just, yeah, absolutely. It, and there's no, yeah. there's no way to money morning quarterback, like, yeah, because, right. but, but, here, but here's what I can tell you for sure. What I can tell you for sure is that, um, it's like when people ask me about my old songs and the fact that I, and I know that Dave had, Bazan has a different take on this maybe than I do. And, and some bands do like, he, I don't think he likes playing some of his old songs and some requests he'll refuse. I on the whole won't, even if I vehemently disagree with the way I saw the world 10 or 20 years ago that, that some of those songs represent, I'll play them all. And the reason is because they're all part of who I am. They're all part of where I've been. They're all part of what makes me me. I mean, I am not the man who wrote Wedding Dress. I am not the man who wrote all the songs in Cadman's Call. Hell, I'm not the man who wrote a lot of the songs on Fingers Crossed because we change. We right. just, we, we change. I mean, I look at the world, I describe it. Both I and the world I'm looking at change in real time. And in a few mm-hmm. years, I'm not going to be the man I am as I sit on this phone call with you guys today. But I'm still going to be looking at the world and describing it. And I'm, what I hope is that I'll always trust the man I was at that time. And because I trust that the, the, the man or boy who wrote Wedding Dress, um, 
you know, he looked at the world and with the information he had, he tried to describe it for describe it for us. I think he did an okay job. I think he did an honest job, and I will therefore cover his material. But that's <laughs> yeah, but that's it. what I'm but that's what I'm that's what anybody's doing who plays songs they wrote more than a year or two ago. Yeah, um, nobody's exactly who they were. So I'll play all those songs because they're part of who I am. They're part of what made me me. And you know, yeah, my my past failures are all part of what brought me to this moment that I've already said is my happiest moment in my life. And so it's kind of the uh, it's a wonderful life effect. Like my past failures, if I went back like, you know, in a DeLorean and, and undid some of those things, it would radically change my present moment in which I have never been happier. So I don't, I wouldn't change my failures because they've all, they, all of them informed the, the man that I am now uh, able to be in this marriage and in this life and never been happier. And I have a, a, t a 10 and a 12 year old boy and girl who I love mm -hmm. like, you know, like a, I'm furious uh, by how sweet they are. I just love these kids and I've got them in my life. And, you know, like I wouldn't have all that if not for the, the life I've, right. I've had behind me. So if you wouldn't change any failures, though, I wouldn't. Does that, does that mean also that you have no regrets? You regret nothing you've done? Um, I personally, this kind of, you know, like what's funny is even though I, I don't profess Christianity anymore, all of my metaphors are, are biblical. And so it kind of, it puts me into the conundrum of Judas, you know, like would he regret having betrayed Jesus knowing that it was one of the seminal moments of the economy of salvation and bringing it all to pass for 30 pieces of silver? If he hadn't betrayed Jesus, as the scripture said that someone must, you know, like, you know, can he, you know, like what? You know, how do you, what, how do you deal with that? You know, like right. without him doing exactly what thousands of years of prophecy said that he must do and would do, um, you know, first of all, did he have free will in that moment? Uh, second of all, could he, did he have any regret? Well, he probably would have regretted finding out later that Jesus, uh, you know, as, if you believe that narrative apparently was the savior, um, he probably would have regretted uh, betraying him. However, without his actions, um, it's a similar story to say, what about the brothers of, uh, Joseph at the end of Genesis? You know, like mm -hmm. they, they willfully sold him into slavery and death, but it was by way of their actions that he wound up being the prime minister of Egypt and saved them and his whole family. And at that moment, when they realized it was him, they said, are you going to kill us now? And he said, no, because the thing you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so there's some mystery by which the things we do bring about good things, even when we mean evil you know, good things can happen. Now, I say all that as a non-believer, but I still like that narrative. And so for me, it's like, do I have regrets personally? Absolutely, because I hate pain that I've caused people. And I hate that I've done things that have caused destruction and pain. And I hate having put people through hard things. I hate the misery and heartache that it's caused. But the other side of the same coin is that, you know, like there, there, good, good and even great and joyous things have happened as a result. Um, mm -hmm. and so I wouldn't displace any of those things if it would displace my current joy, um, and the, the joy of my wife, uh, with whom, uh, I am now. And, you know, without all the pain behind me, the cir the, the circumstances would not have presented themselves from my current reality. And so it's a complicated, it's complicated, you know, but yeah. so yes, and, I do and have, even like you said, you're yeah. not the guy, that guy anymore. Like you I am not the man who even, did. I mean, our skin That's cells right. are changing. Everything's changing. So That's you, right. that, I, I don't have any regrets. That other guy does probably. There's a real sense in which I am not the man who did the things that I regret yeah. the most in my life. That, well, that, a, that's, a, another, that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, there's another sense in which I'll never not be him, but there's mm -hmm. a real sense in which I'm not him and I have not been him for years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah.
Right. And if you could have met this you, you would have told him, but he, you couldn't. That, and he that, would not have this, listened. This you didn't exist. Back to, he had to be born. Uh, yeah. Again, back to the future. But old man Biff could not have convinced his younger self. You're right. You know, that's, that's why that story is yeah. that story, you know. I wonder if it would be reasonable to say that I would not repeat my previous actions, but I also would not change them. 100% yes. That's or something the, along the lines yeah, of something that. Like, I, yeah. I, I would not forward. repeat those actions. I go forward with but, no wish to repeat any of what's behind me, but I yeah. regret none of what's behind me if it put me where I am today. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That, that, this has been fascinating. I think you're a fun person to reflect with and talk through. So thanks for joining us today. And, oh, brother. Um, I'm excited for Targets to be out. That There's a track yep. out right now. It's track two off the record. It's called All of Me is Here. So we'll, yep. play, some, we'll play some of that right now as we let you go. And uh, we'll yep. roll out, and then Toby and I'll wrap the podcast after that. But thank you for joining us today, Derek. We're excited oh, it's a pleasure. for you it's and your great career. To talk to and you guys. I'll be paying attention to your pivots and your adaptations, and take and mm-hmm. continue to take cues from you because you're one of the sources of somebody I look to who I know is paying attention to the musical, creative, digital, interpersonal landscape. So yeah, I use you it's, as always, an it's always great to way, talk so to thanks. you guys, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Derek. Absolutely.
Okay, Derek Webb, thanks for coming by. Enjoyed it as usual. So I guess he's not a cult leader. I sh we should let him off the hook. Yeah, he's not. He's a good guy. He's a good dude. <laughs> he's chancing that marriage again. I don't know if I ever get he's divorced. I don't know if I can do yeah, it I twice. I, yeah, I'm not so interested. This I don't round know. Round two. It seems people know. typically are though. I think you think when you get. You probably think you won't get married again because why bother? And then you get all wrapped up with somebody and then you just can't help it. Right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, it would probably happen even if you thought you didn't want to. You Eventually, you're going to feel like you should or need to or something like that. Right. Probably. But it'd be kind of cool if you could just not. Is the... The the love thing is just that you want to be near somebody and wake up beside them. I guess you, you want to share things with people. Share I don't finances, know. I guess. Something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, some for some reason that's yeah. good. Yeah. I don't know what the reason is, but yeah, it seems to be part a good. Of it? Yeah, it sure did seem good. If you I can't uh, remember yeah, what I used years to ago. think. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All oh. I know now is I say, okay, that's fine, but we will use this new electric fancy Christmas tree for at least five years. Yep. Yep. It will, you will better use it for five years then. <laughs> that's where I'm at. I know. I just, yeah, we, we're, it, it's funny. Like we're getting Christmas presents right now for the kids and stuff and just like trying to find deals and like, yeah, be, this is good enough. It's not, it's fine. Good Lord, they get so much. We're just, you know, I feel like I sound exactly like my parents. Like, what do you want? How much money do we got to spend? I mean, we don't spend enough on, you know, all this stuff. So I'm just like, you know what? We're just going to, and, and you have to worry, are you spoiling your kids? Also, how much do they need? How are you going to be mad at them when you see it destroyed three hours after they open it and laying under their bed and they don't care oh. and they want to go to the store to look at new toys? You know, I mean, yeah, I, my but, kids and the, the, uh, my kids are only able to really be care about a toy for a very small amount of time. I mean, yes. the, just unbelievable. Yeah, they're not, um, you know, they're going to be entitled people. Yes. But, but maybe there's something good about that. And maybe it'll become, there'll be some mature version of entitled brats that will pay off in ways we can't yet imagine. But I don't, and the rest of the generation is going to be so entitled that maybe they'll just be less entitled. So therefore have some advantage. I, I really don't yeah. know. But, but you can't say, and it's never really makes sense to say, nope, kids should be like they were so that they will be like I am because you know, you're not that great. And right. you shouldn't have been like, you know, you've advanced past your parents and your kids are probably going to advance and be better than you in ways where they wouldn't want to go back to the old old way but you don't see that yet so maybe some of this entitlement stuff or things that we think are kids being soft or or overprotected maybe there's a payoff for it that we just can't see yet yeah right i mean you yeah, have to and, think and of who it that am i way. to complain at them i'm mad today because my internet's slow and i'm on yeah. and i have to use my 750 dollar phone with these headphones and uh chat with my friends as my career and so you just whine, whine, whine. <laughs> yeah. Just whine and whine and whine. One and thing I will not whine about, though, Matt, is the Bad Christian Club, the BC <laughs> Club. They are just wonderful people that keep my, you know, when, when life is hard, when my, you know, very expensive iMac isn't working that well, I, you know, they help me go to my very expensive iPhone 11. And, uh, 
you know, I just really appreciate that. That is the reason for the BC Club for my all my technology. Is that right? Gratitude, the yeah. antidote for entitlement. <laughs> so be entitled, but you have gratitude. You'll be okay. These people are going to buy you a new iMac, Toby. Jake Thank Vinson. Thank you, God. <laughs> Jake, Jake Vinson, <laughs> Nicholas Lewis, Ford Inebrit. In you know, Samuel Moore, Austin Garretson, and Trevon Jimboy. Thank you guys. Sending you just a little token of their appreciation for making this podcast, yep. and not only this, but for making the daily dose where you pour yourself out That's to right. be mocked and abused every day. Yeah. Every day. Every day. Four I days a week. That. And then we show up here on the fifth day, and uh, they, they appreciate it. So yep. you you put yourself in the stock. It's like a. You're like a clown, like a, in the <laughs> dunk tank or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're in the dunk tank, basically. Yeah. And you got to get a wage for that, and they're giving you tips. And then they're just you. They'll, you just sit here yeah. and you just make the daily dose and sound like a fool and yep. say just stupid shit all the time. And then they make fun of you in the BC club, and they're happy to, to, to give you a tip because you're such a good. Clown. What an end to the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Matt. <laughs> da- I mean, dance I mean, for me- us, fat boy. Dance. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> thank you all. I, I thank really you, guys. It.